Thank you, Jenny. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again. Good to be here on a sunny day. And uh, do appreciate the opportunity of just spending these few minutes with you. We're going to go back to Colossians chapter 3, uh, to verses 12 through 17. And uh, interestingly enough, I was asked to speak at a wedding quite recently. And these verses were the particular portion that the bride and groom asked me to speak from. But the things I'm going to say to you this morning, none of them I said to the bride and groom. Um, So let's read the scripture together. These are just wonderful verses, and I do trust even in reading there will be a, a blessing to you. So from verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity let the peace of christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me thank God for his word to us. Alexander McLaren was a Baptist preacher in Manchester during the 1860s, 70s and 80s. A great preacher. And he gave a title to these few verses which has haunted me in a way over this past week. He called these verses the wardrobe of the consecrated soul. The wardrobe of the consecrated soul soul and he themed it really on the phrases that are used in verses 12 through 14 because you as I you and I as as Christian men or women uh, need to recognize certain thing about certain things about ourselves and then dress ourselves accordingly with this fresh wardrobe of Christian graces He says three things about those of us who are Christians this morning. He says, firstly, we are God's chosen people. Then secondly, we are holy. And thirdly, we are dearly loved. And that should be a great encouragement to us. Because there is a sense in which you and I came to faith in the Lord Jesus because we made the choice. And we decided at some point to follow the Lord Jesus and to acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior. But beyond that and encompassing that, there is this sense in which God has chosen you. And the Lord Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And that is a a huge encouragement to my own heart this morning to recognize that in coming to faith in the Lord Jesus, 
It was not just an exercise which I embarked upon, but it was something which God had uh, demonstrated in my life as he had chosen me. I'm going to read you a verse from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, and I think this makes it clear uh, just from the point of view of this dual choosing, which is so much part of the word of God's teaching. Verse 4 of that verse, of that chapter, 1 Thessalonians 1 says this, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So we know God has chosen you because the gospel worked out its purpose in you. And as these people in Thessalonica heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus, they came to a real knowledge of him because the gospel was effective in their lives. And so the apostle says, we know God has chosen you because you came to faith in him. So in that sense, you and I are chosen by God. Secondly, you'll notice he uses the word holy. It's a, it's a word which we tend to shy away from because it has all sorts of connotations as far as the scripture is concerned. But it means simply to set apart. To set apart. So if you and I had a particular uh, dish which we only used on Sunday, you'd have it set apart for that purpose. And it's exactly the same thought here that God has set us apart in order to function for him. So we are holy, we are set apart to him in order that he might bless and use us. And then this lovely phrase, if you're reading the authorised version this morning, the word is beloved, but here it's been translated dearly loved. And it means just to be loved as God loved his own son. To be loved as God loved his own son. So you have a, a three, a sort of three-portioned rampart around the Christian. We are chosen by God. We are set apart by God. And we are loved by God as he loved his own son. And that's hugely precious. Because when our life starts to fragment and we begin to come apart for all sorts of reasons, to recognize the reality of this should bring a real sense of comfort and ongoing strength to us. Now he says, because that is the way you are, you have to put on clothing which characterizes those who have been loved by God, set apart by God, and chosen by God. You're to have a heart of compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Everyone needs compassion sometimes. Most people need compassion all the time. Irishmen need compassion in excess of that. So I know that you care for me, and Jill, and we really value that. But the word is just simply to be tender-hearted, to have a sense of suffering with of engaging with. So if someone is bereaved, then there should be a, a heart of compassion within each of us in order that we sustain and helps us sustain that individual through a difficult period. And what a difference this would make 
if we were truly tender-hearted. Some Christian people are known as being austere. And I've known one or two of them through my life. But the ones that really made an impression on me were those who demonstrated compassion. The very first time I preached, I was 14. And I preached to a congregation of four, which included my uncle, and I had prepared assiduously all week uh, Luke 15. And I had read the first part of that chapter to my congregation of four. But quickly discovered in my preaching that I was going to have to preach for the whole of the chapter in order to fill up five minutes. And after that particular service, I was going home with my uncle in his car. And I said to him, never again. And he said, Peter, you promised you'd preach for me and with me for the next three Sundays. And I said, well, never again after the next three Sundays. And my uncle said to me, he said, you said some things tonight from Luke 15, which I had never thought of. And I said, then they're probably wrong. And he said, no, they weren't. Because the Lord spoke to me from what you said. And that was compassion. And we need to have that sensitivity to one another and need to have a heart for one another which recognizes when one another is suffering. But you'll notice the responsibility is for me to put it on. The word here is clothe yourselves with compassion. And if this be a characteristic of our Christian life, and it should, then we need to have an awareness of that. And then kindness. There's a a play in the New Testament on the word kindness, which in Greek is krestos. And krestos and Christos, which is the name for Christ, are closely linked. So the word which is used here, and which Paul uses frequently in his writing, is kindness, krestos. Goodness and deeds which are kindly. You can't be kind in the abstract You know, it's only as you express those particular deeds that the kindness is shown. So you can't pretend to be kind. You know, it doesn't mean anything. It's used, Archbishop Trench tells us, it's used of wine which is mellowed. Now, I know one or two of you may drink wine, and sometimes wine has a harsh quality about it, and it's not very pleasant. But wine which is mellowed is gentle on the palate. Not that I know about these things, you know, I'm just commenting on them. But it it has a gentleness on the palate. It's not harsh. And this word which is translated kindness here is that word, mellowed wine. It's used of the Lord Jesus. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You may remember when he was speaking to his disciples. My yoke is easy. That's kindness. That's a translation of the same word. So it's a lovely word. It has lovely quality about it. Are you kind? Are you kind to one another? Do you show tenderness to each other? 
And then this interesting word, humility. I'm sure some of you may have read Charles Dickens. And Nicholas Nickleby has a famous character in it called Uriah Heep. And Uriah Heep was ever so humble, but he was anything but. That's got nothing to do with this word, which is humility here. It actually means lowly-mindedness. Lowly-mindedness. A reminder that you and I are totally dependent upon the Lord for the Christian grace of humility. We live our lives in the presence of the Creator. So should I ever be proud? All that I am and have are His gifts so free. And if I'm going to be truly humble, I need to recognize that, that, that my life, such as it is, is, is in the hand of the Creator, and I owe Him everything. And that will keep my mind humble. And then further to that, gentleness. Gentleness. It's an interesting word again. It's used most primarily in classical Greek of a well-trained horse. And you wouldn't think of that, would you? A, a well-trained horse was, was gentle. But it's a horse that is biddable to bit and bridle. A horse that does what it's told. And that's the thought here primarily of this word gentleness. Self-control so that we don't run riot in our own minds and hearts. And finally in this little section, patience or long-suffering. The opposite of that, a desire for revenge, for imagined wrongs. It's that which just recognizes that, well, I'm back to where I was. I owe the Lord everything. So I, I am long-suffering to others. It's not always easy, is it? Especially if you live with someone. But long-suffering is to be part of our Christian expression part of the reality of our, our Christian experience before the Lord. So these handful, these five particular graces that are emphasized here that we are to clothe ourselves with. But then he, he changes tack slightly and he says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgive, forgive you. Now the Lord's forgiveness for us is based upon repentance. Whenever you and I repent of our wrongdoing before the Lord and come to him in faith and just say simply, Lord, I, I need my life to be changed. I, I want to trust you for your forgiveness. Then in that attitude as I come to him, I'm actually saying it, it's up to you to forgive me on the basis of the fact that I've repented of my sin. And God commands all men everywhere to repent. And whenever you and I repent of our sin, God forgives us absolutely. There's no remembrance of our sins anymore. In fact, he makes that statement more than once in Scripture. You know, your sins and your iniquities I will remember no more. It's an act of will by God to not remember. He doesn't forget. He chooses not to remember. And that's the force of this particular argument here. Whenever you and I wrong one another and some person has wronged us, then on the basis of their repentance, we forgive them absolutely. 
We don't say, I forgive you, but I can't forget what you did. You know, the exercise of the Christian spiritual life is to recognize that it works. When we put into practice what the Word of God teaches, it actually changes the men and women that we are. So if you're holding a grudge against anyone this morning, go and see them after the service and put it right. Some years ago, the church that I was brought up in had a remarkable experience. There was a character who came to preach called Tom Bates, who was a converted teddy boy. And he was a, a, an East Belfast man who was quite rough and ready in his ways and in his speech. And he preached on this particular occasion on forgiveness. And as he finished, he went to the door and uh, nobody left the church. So he went back to the platform and said one or two other things. And then he said, look, I'm going home. He said, the Lord's obviously working in your hearts tonight. There were about 200 in the fellowship, I suppose, at that time. And the folk just sat on. And then they began to break up into smaller groups. My brother-in-law told me this, so I have it really firsthand. They began to break up in smaller groups. And people who, unknown to other people, were holding grudges against other people, went and spoke to them and just shared with them what was this obstacle in their lives as far as that particular individual was concerned. And there were about 50 people reconciled within that fellowship on that one evening. During the following six months, there was at least one conversion, one person turning to Christ every evening, every Sunday evening. Were the two things connected? Was the Spirit of God free to operate in a way in which it hadn't been before? This is a a huge principle in Scripture, and we need to recognize it. Forgive as Christ forgave you absolutely freely without any recourse to vengeance but absolutely on the basis of his sacrifice. And then this lovely phrase, over all these, or an overcoat for the Christian wardrobe, over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Christian word for love, which is commonly used in the New Testament and not elsewhere, really. In classical Greek, it's not used at all. It's the word agape. And again, it means to uh, commit ourselves to the Lord in love and thus commit ourselves to one another in love. And you'll recognize the importance of this. If, If I really love the Lord, I will want to obey him rather than to excuse myself from obeying him. So put on as an overgarment a love which actually works. In Galatians 5, Paul lists all these things as part of the fruit of the Spirit. And you may like to read that passage after the service. He talks about the fact that this love is an overgarment. It is that which forgives freely. It is that which acts in in compassion. It is that which... Uh, works in kindness, is that which demonstrates humility. It is that which is a, a figure of gentleness and peace. 
and an awareness of Christ's love to us, if we submit ourselves to his love in a real sense so that he can use us, you know, without us standing in any ceremony, he can use us as that poem which Jenny quoted so beautifully reminded us. If we're, if we're just clay in his hands, he can use us. Because the, the potter forms the clay and reforms the clay according to his purpose. But it's according to his purpose. It's that which is in the mind of the potter that's important. And so for you and I, if we're going to function for Christ, he, he needs to work in us according to his will and to his purpose. And as I begin to close this morning, I won't say I close because people have said recently that when I say I close, I've got another 15 minutes. So <laughs> I better stop doing that. But here are a number of lettuces. I know you like lettuce you know, during the summertime when it's warm like this. So here, here are a few lettuces. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. So let's look at the image Paul uses here. You know, we are members of one body. Now let's say that my right hand decided in my body it was going to chastise me and give me a smack on the chin. That would be a, a misnomer, because my right hand is part of my body, and so it functions only to put food in my mouth or whatever, you know. It, it doesn't function to bring chastisement to my chin. So because we are members of one body, then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. See the image? Your body doesn't become self-antagonistic. Your body expresses its peaceful unity. So as that is the case in your body, and you recognize it in the body of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule, rule in your hearts. There have been times in my Christian life when I've gone deliberately against what I felt the Lord was telling me to do. I don't know why I did it. It's never a sensible thing when you know God's will not to submit to it. But there have been times in my life when I've gone against what I knew what God wanted me to do. Peace should be an arbiter. Peace should be the umpire. So when I'm feeling the prompting of the Lord to do something, then I allow the peace of God to be the umpire in my heart, um, to, to walk as he's directing me so that I may know his peace in my living. And at the times when I said when I've gone against that, my life has been in turmoil. I'll give you one example. I was teaching a, a Bible class in uh, my home church. I was 16, and I was given that massive responsibility. And after about three and a half years of teaching every Sunday, I felt that I wanted a rest. Now, this is just stupid, you know, but I'm Irish, okay, so that's allowable. Um, but to know that God has given you a job to do and then to decide that you want to rest because you feel like you want to rest is going against what the Lord's revealed will is. And for a year and a half, 
when I was out of that situation, when I was 19 until I was almost 21, I was frustrated. I was almost angry. I felt my life was going nowhere as far as God was concerned. And I hadn't realized what I had done until the Lord faced me with it one particular Sunday afternoon. I was doing something entirely different, and I felt the Lord say to me, why aren't you teaching the Bible class instead of doing this? And I broke down and said to the Lord, I'm sorry. And he took me up and used me in other ways. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Every day. For everything. And that's really hard. But whatever the Lord does is right. I can remember this principle being sort of hammered into my life when I was a youngster. God never does what is wrong. He only does what is right. It's people who do what is wrong. But God doesn't do what's wrong. So as we live in his will, if we're thankful day by day and have the awareness of his presence day by day, it will be a real blessing to us. So when you get up in the morning, thank the Lord for the morning. Because there was no real reason for you to waken unless he wakened you. Be thankful. Then he says, let the word of God, here's another let us, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Dwell in you richly. I thought a lot about that this week. We need to inwardly assimilate the word of God. In other words, the words get off the page and into our living, into our heart, so that we live in the direction or under the direction, perhaps better, under the direction of the Word of God because it's ingrained into our hearts and minds. So when we read the Scriptures, and I trust we do every day, when we read the Scriptures, it's not just because it's an exercise. You know, I have to read my Bible and I'm now reading Exodus 34, you know, whatever it happens to be. But rather that when I read the Bible, I allow the Word to penetrate. I allow it to become part of my experience and part of my living, to inwardly assimilate it. So it's not the knowledge of, but the experience in. To have a, a life which is lived in the experience of the Word of God dwelling within me in such a way that its testimonies are a constant meditation. So when my mind is not altogether blank, there will be things in it which relate to the word that I have read. You'll notice the word richly. Allow the word of God or let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As you teach and admonish one another, there's a word. So the church has a responsibility to teach and admonish each other. What do you think that means? Well, it's to be done with all wisdom. So the teaching, I would judge, is the positive aspect of the Word of God and admonishing being the negative aspect of the Word of God. So that whenever you and I are in a situation and we recognize that someone needs help, um, then we just bring them a word from the Lord, if I can put it like that, without making it grandiose or, 
or such a thing. You know, when I was pastoring uh, churches over the years, the responsibility that I had was to meet people where they were at. And some folk I met were really angry. And I would bring them to a passage like this, and I said, where do, you, where do you find anger as being part of your Christian experience? You know, That was admonishing. But I trust in a, in a loving way. So you teach and admonish one another. It's part of our responsibility with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and you have thankfulness again here. So thankfulness in relation to the Word of God dwelling richly in me, and thankfulness in relation to the peace of Christ ruling in my heart, recognizing that it's all down to him. It's all about him. You know, it doesn't matter where you come into the Scripture, or perhaps more evidently in a passage like this, that it's all about the Lord. And if you and I live with our hearts and minds dominated and directed by the Spirit of God, then you and I will be functional for the Lord every day of our lives. Not just a Sunday thing or a Wednesday thing or whatever it happens to be, but we'll be living in such a way that uh, the peace of God will be guaranteeing our hearts and the Word of Christ will be in us in such a way that when we meet with one another, we'll have a word for one another which is valuable. Very frequently, our Christian fellowship degenerates into how are you today? Maybe we should say to one another, what have you learned of the Lord this week? Maybe we should say to one another, what did the Lord tell you off about this week? You know, what admonishment was was there from the word at this particular time in your history? And whatever you do, and I do close with this, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. You have it again. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I close with a question. What does it mean to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus? What does it mean? Well, John Chrysostom John the Golden Mouth, uh, a 5th century preacher, said this. It means to call on the help and guidance of the Lord for everything. To call on the help and guidance of the Lord for everything. Jerome, who was a 2nd century Roman preacher, it's to be done in in honor of the Lord and furtherance of his glory. Quite a different slant than what it means to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. To be done in honor of the Lord and the furtherance of his glory. Bengal, who's an 18th century theologian, says this. It's to be done in the spirit and character of the Lord. And Alexander McLaren, whom I started by quoting and I closed by quoting. It's to be done in obedience to his authority and the dependence on his help. And that's the one I like best. If I'm going to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, then I've got to be in obedience to him. And I've got to be in dependence upon him. If I'm going to be any use for him, I've got to be in obedience and dependence upon him. Don't do less than all, but do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. 
to God the Father through him. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, in a, in a fresh way this morning, we wish to submit to your authority. We ask again that you will have precedence in our life and you'll help us to, to recognize our responsibility to live to you and only to you. And that from day to day you will help us to be thankful as we depend upon you for our very life, for our very being. Recognize from Paul's sermon in Acts 17 that in you we live and move and, and have our being. You are our God and in your mercy and grace you are our Father. And we thank you that you take us under your wing and you bring us succor and help. That you are the one who sustains our life from, a, from its beginning until its ending. And then you take us home to glory. And we praise you for the security we have in that and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So we give you thanks this morning for him. And we pray that you will help us to, to live as men and women who have clothed, or have clothed ourselves with Christ. It will be of some use to you tomorrow and in the days ahead as you give them to us. We ask these things in the Lord's name. Amen.